we're going to uh, turn our attention to that, uh, those two passages. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis uh, tonight. So if you flip that open, uh, I think it was page two uh, in your Bibles. We're doing a, uh, a, a series this term. So we're going to try and build a picture over the course of the term of God on mission. And tonight, I'm going to try and make the case for you that Jesus and Paul didn't invent mission, but that God had been on mission from day one. Tonight in particular, we're going to look at the destination, why it is so important that God wants to have a mission, uh, because he's taking us towards a life that is fulfilling and that will be the best life for us. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to turn our attention tonight to your word. We ask, Father, that you might help us to concentrate, uh, that those who are tired will be energised, uh, that those who might be distracted, Father, might be focused. We ask, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and challenge and change us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was, um, I was thinking of what's needed for flourishing. What's needed for flourishing? And when I had that word up, I thought immediately of things that need to flourish, uh, pot plants. Uh, wonderfully, these are not the pot plants at my house, because um, if I was responsible for them, they would be anything but flourishing. When it comes to pot plants, it's very helpful. Uh, you don't just have to guess. Uh, in my case, I would be totally guessing what my pot plants need. Uh, but often they come with a little tag uh, like this one. And this tag tells us all sorts of things about how to care for our pot plant. Uh, it tells us about uh, the fact that they need to be in broader, uh, moderately bright light, uh, that they need to be uh, making sure that the soil is not too uh, wet, uh, that they need to have a particular range of temperature. And basically at the bottom it says there are tips for the success of this plant uh, which uh, provide good light and avoid waterlogged soil. Isn't that wonderful? So I don't know anything about pot plants, but now I know how to look after this pot plant because it's written there for me. Who writes it? People who grow pot plants, I guess. And they know because it's their job to keep them growing well. So I should listen to them. And if I do, my pot plants should do pretty well. But I don't know very much about soil. So wonderfully, I found out uh, there are gadgets for knowing about soil. Who knew? Maybe you did know. That's me expressing my ignorance. But this, this talks about uh, how wet or dry the soil is, what the pH of the soil is, stuff like that. And then this is my favourite gadget that I found. Uh, this is something you could stick in the ground and it'll tell you, uh, is it full sun, partial sun, partial shade or full shade? How amazing. Uh, I really didn't know that such things existed. And I do wonder, I guess, how long it takes to give you a reading in, in terms of the that the light is probably changing all day. So. But, but here we are. Instructions for the flourishing of my pot plant are provided for me. I guess we'd wonder, well, how about humans? The reason we listen to the instructions for pot plants is because the horticulturalists have told us. Who's the horticulturalist in inverted commas for humans? What's well, the one who made us? Uh, our God. But uh, we, he's not around. Uh, so who do we listen to? Well, we don't get a little tag on us when we're born that says, here's how to make sure my baby flourishes. So we'd naturally look to TV, wouldn't we? Because uh, that'll explain exactly what human flourishing should look like. So here's what, uh, here's what we need to worry about as humans. Apparently, we need to have a great bod. Uh, we need to be very famous. Uh, we need to find the one. 
I think this is very important. In, 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 important, especially if we haven't ever met them before and we marry at first sight. I'm sure that'll work out swimmingly. Uh, we need great work, uh, great houses, great holidays, uh, great food, and perhaps a little adventure sprinkled in as well, according to our TV diet. And I, I thought, oh, hang on, I did that this morning at the 10 o'clock service, and I thought, well, let's face it, no, no one who's coming to New Life at, at night is watching free-to-air TV. Uh, we're all watching Netflix, aren't we? And then I thought, well, what, what on earth does Netflix tell me about human flourishing? Become a prison-bound drug dealer who... I mean, it is so insanely cynical and depressing if you look at what Netflix would present to us as a flourishing life. It, it's, it's terrifying, really. So, so where, where do we look? Where, where do we look when we go, what should my life look like? How should I shape and organise my life? Well, drop that all to the floor. I think we need to ask, what does the God who is there have to say about his creation? What does the God who is there have to say about his creation? And so we, we, we start off, and this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the picture of the beginning, the picture of the beginning. And it's this famous image, isn't it? It's, it's a, a naked man and a naked woman in a garden. That's where the Bible starts with its account of human beings and their flourishing in this garden. But, but as we look around today, uh, the puzzle that, that was begun is now in pieces everywhere. And you and I, TV, family, wherever we look, are only ever going to be picking up pieces. So what we really need to do is we need to go back to God's Word. And what we're going to be doing over this term is we're going to be working through uh, this overview of the Bible that I've developed. Not, not every one of the pictures, but, but a bunch of them. So that's the Old Testament up there in pictures, and that's the New Testament. And we're going to start tonight, not up there where we are in the timeline, but back here at Creation. We're going to start at creation to find out, before all the puzzle pieces got mixed up, what is the picture of where we came from? It's going to tell us about the goodness of God, and when we go right to the end of the equation, right up past where we are, we're going to see tonight in that reading from Revelation where God's taking us, where God's taking us. So let me talk very quickly about creation. We, we could have a whole evening and a service on creation, but we're not doing that. Uh, briefly, God made the world totally freely. Uh, some other accounts of creation might have uh, a, a battle. In fact, the Babylonians had a battle between two monsters creating the world. Uh, I think the account's called Enuma Elish. If you want to look it up, go Google that tonight. Uh, but the account of the world for them was the world came to be through a struggle between big beasts. And it's kind of an accident. If you go with yin and yang, we have a struggle between good and evil that, that bursts this world. That's not the picture in creation. God was doing fine on his own, and he freely chose to bring creation into being. That's great, because it means there was no one forcing his hand. He brought it into being for people. This is absolutely amazing for us. So, yes, he makes the sun and the moon and the stars and plants and fish, but the pinnacle of creation is people. He makes the world for people to rule and to relate together. So he gives them a job. He gives them a, a responsibility to rule and to relate. Relate to each other and relate to him. And that's where we're going to be camping out tonight. And he did all of that by his word. He simply spoke 
And uh, some of you might like doing this if you've got remote control lights or something. Let there be light and you press your button and things go on. Because we feel powerful. In our case, we're just causing some work that other people have done to happen. For God, when he spoke, he made something that had never happened come to happen by the power of his word. The creation that we have was spoken into being. So when we go to figuring out what am I here for, how should I live, we surely should pay attention to the one whose word brought it into being. So what does this look like? I want to suggest there's four ways that we particularly see God's handiwork in creation. The first one is to do with God himself. Why don't you open your Bibles, uh, page two or three, right at the start. If everyone does it, we'll all feel comfortable doing it. So I'll give you a moment to do that. Open up your Bibles. I'd love for you to have a look with me. Uh, a little bit past where we read. Next week, we're going to see why we need mission because the world's messed up. And that's going to be in chapter 3. But I want to give you a little sneaky peek of something that's good in chapter 3. So in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, we see this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, if we read ahead, we'd find out that next week we're going to see terrible things that happened. But the bit I wanted to do before was, it's likely that when they heard God walking in the cool of the garden, it wasn't the first time God had done that. That Adam and Eve had been made to live in a garden and to walk with their God. He wasn't unaccessible. He wasn't scary. He wasn't uh, a tower of fire. Uh, He wasn't... Uh, a ravenous lion, he was someone they could walk with in the cool of the garden. So God made us to relate to him. And in the garden, the picture in the garden, is a perfect relationship between human beings and God. So the first thing we need to know about creation is a perfect relationship between human beings and God. That's the vertical part. Secondarily, we see that God looked at this man that he had placed there. So in case you didn't know, there's two accounts of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Chapter 1 has the seven days one, yep, which we're all familiar with. Chapter 2 kind of stretches it out and says, let me fill in the details a little bit. It, It wasn't just that God made man and female, it's that he made man and then he made woman. And so if we have a look at chapter 2 verse 18, What God has done is placed Adam in this beautiful garden that he's made and given him trees and plants. And then we see in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, the next thing that happens is God says, he brings in front of Adam all the animals that have been created. I was reflecting this morning, I reckon that must have taken a long time. God had all of the animals pass in front of Adam. And what was Adam's job? Can you see here? What was Adam's job while all the animals were passing by? Sorry? Naming them. Absolutely. So uh, have a look at verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. I I think that would have been very tiring. Uh, And in fact, uh, what happens next says that the man was indeed very tired. Uh, Have a look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Why? Just before that, the end of verse 20, see this. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So it is nice to have a dog. Is anyone a dog person out there? Some people. If you're a dog person, that's great. I, I'm a dog person. Yeah, they call dog man's best friend. 
And you can get on pretty well with a dog. They'll never be disloyal. How beautiful. Uh, they'll always come when you call them, mostly, depending on how well you train them. But, but here's the thing. That isn't a complete relationship. There was more intended for human beings. And so God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he produced uh, this amazing creature to live with him called woman. And immediately we see Adam is just taken with her. I remember hearing a tape uh, by the now disgraced Bill Cosby. Uh, it was funny at the time, uh, where he said, uh, God woke Adam up and he looked and he said, whoa, man. And God said, that's a good enough name. We'll go with that. Uh, and so have a look at Adam's response to this amazing creature that God has brought forth for him. Have a look in verse 22. Then the Lord God had made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. There's a wonderful connection, immediate resonance for Adam. He just goes, this is what I've been looking for. Animals, they haven't got it. This, this is the one. You, anyone? Jerry Maguire? No. You complete me? No. Okay, very good. Falling flat. Maybe you need to go for the, um, what's the other version of that? Uh, Austin Powers, right? That's where you know it from, don't you? Okay, good. Um, so you complete me uh, is actually what's happening here. Adam says, oh God, you've just blessed me abundantly. I now have someone who I can't be apart from. Uh, she is the one who's the perfect companion and complement to me. And, and notice here, it's pretty remarkable, but it immediately goes to marriage. It immediately goes to marriage. This complementary person that you put with me, I need to be one with. And so here we have the foundation of marriage right here. So perfect relationship with the vertical, perfect relationship with the horizontal. A perfect relationship between man and woman. What a wonderful thing that would be with no sin to hinder. But there's even more. God gives them even more. Have a look at uh, chapter 1, verse 28, uh, in the first account of uh, the creation. It says this, uh, sorry, verse 27. Uh, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Interesting to note, there's in the complementary part, male and female together, we see something of God. Not man is the image of God. But in complementary relationship, man and woman are part of the image of God. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What had God said? Well, he'd said, I have good work for you to do. I have good work for you to do. I want you to be the people who rule over all of these fish. I want you to be people who bear my image by expressing rule over this created order. And so God gave them good work to do. And I think that's surprising for us because next week we're going to see sin has come into the world and ruined everything. But here we see before sin ruined everything, God gave people work. And you think that's terrible. I thought God was really good, but now I hear he gave us work before everything was messed up by sin. My idea of heaven is to not work. I'm going to show you later, that's not, a good, that's not a good idea. Before sin, God gave them work. In heaven, spoiler alert, we're going to have work to do. But here's the difference. It will be perfectly fulfilling. Perfectly fulfilling. God gave them responsibility and ability 
to do the job that he entrusted to them. So I want you to see there was perfect relationship here, perfect relationship here, perfect work to do. And then uh, fourthly, I think really intriguingly, a perfect relationship with the created order. Now, when it said there that you're to uh, rule and subdue over the creation, I think some of us go, right, so we're supposed to beat up on nature. Awesome, let's rule and subdue. I'm, I'm going to go and get my mower out and rule and subdue my unruly backyard. Um, and that's, there's something in that, but there's far more. I think this verse is profoundly beautiful. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 15. This is where it comes together for me. I, I, I don't think that Christians should be uh, ashamed of uh, the idea of environmentalism in the sense of, oh, that's, it's, our world's all going to burn. Have, have you heard this? The world's going to burn, so who gives a rip about it? Anyone? No one. Here's why I think we should care about the creation. Have a look at verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To work it and take care of it. Before the fall, God said it's actually important that you look after this. You need to work it, but you need to care for it as well. And so it's a beautiful picture here of right relationship with the creation as well. Well, I said before that our world has picked up the pieces that have been shattered by, by sin. And so what is our world made of the pieces? Well, inevitably, our world tells us about these four things, God, relationships, work, and creation, and it messes them up. First of all, it's because it, the world will always talk to us about taking something. And I'll show you what that means in a second. It's always about what can I get out of this? Secondly... Our world will always talk about what these things are far, far from God. So they don't really want to know about God, so it'll always exclude God. And then usually um, it'll be at extremes. Let me explain what I mean. If we look at the first area, the idea of our relationship with God, our world goes, I don't want to talk about God, but I could talk about spiritual things. Yeah? I want to talk about God, but I do want to talk about spiritual things. And what it generally does is it kind of has two extremes. So I've got a little bit of a diagram up here, a bit of a pendulum. So here's a pendulum, and just because I can, I'll make my pendulum swimming over there. Nice. Okay. So in the spiritual realm, there's two extremes we can go to. On one side, we can say we're materialistic. And what that basically means is we've decided there is no God. There's only physics and atoms. And so in that world... Uh, we get our Ikea Buddha and we put him up on the, uh, on the, on the mantelpiece, okay? And we go, see, I'm, I'm kind of spiritual, but we're not. We, we don't believe in any of that rubbish. We just like the culture or something. So that's one end. The other extreme is people are into magic, right? Dream catchers, anyone? Whatever. These people, though, one, one group of people, the materialist, no God. The magic people... Lots of spiritual stuff, but guess who they never talk about? God. You, you'll never hear them talking about God. All spiritual stuff, but never about God. God doesn't want us at the materialistic end, and he doesn't want us at the magic end. He wants us in the middle. He wants us to know that he himself, as the God of the universe, can be known and can know you. He can be known and he can know you. And so it's not this no God, and it's not spiritual without God. It's spiritual with God, knowing and being known. That's the balance that we're looking for. How can we do that? Well, I'd encourage you, the God who is there 
You can talk to him daily. Don't act like he doesn't exist. Actually have a real living prayer life. Start talking to him. Talk to God daily. What about relationships? Well, I think in our world, our world finds relationships too hard. So let's talk about sex, right? Take the relationship out of it, essentially. On one side, we've got our world telling us to be totally promiscuous. Do whatever you want in this area. On the other side, we've got a group of people who are very prudish. You know what? I actually couldn't come up with anyone who's actually in this category. Can anyone suggest? No, I don't know. Maybe you've got a name. You want to share the name later. You can write that on your Karen Connect card and I'll find out who they are. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Our world will either say, have all of it or have none of it. That, that's pretty much the pattern. The Bible doesn't talk about that at all. It says it's a wonderful gift, but it wants, God wants you to enjoy it in trust and treasuring. Trust and treasuring. The worst excesses of our world when it comes to this are all about taking. All about taking. So in relationships, what do I get out of it? What do I take from it? What do I grab from you? What do I... It's all about the take. The opposite is what God's view is for relationships in the Bible. It's about trust and it's about treasuring one another. And I'm sure when Jeff and Kathy speak to us, they'll point us in that direction uh, on our marriage day as well. How do we do that? Even if we're not in a romantic relationship, we can do this trust and treasuring by loving our neighbours ourselves. Because I'll never do to somebody what I don't want done to me. So you can start putting this into practice by loving your neighbour as yourself, which is the second commandment, which is a pretty good place to go. All right, what about work? Well, I think we, talk, we turn work into labour. And so the economists come and uh, divide up our working day and we charge taxes and all those sorts of things. So work, this beautiful thing that God gave us, gets turned into labour, which is divorced from our personhood. And so we can become, on the one extreme, slaves to success, or on the other side, slothful. And um, the slaves to success, obviously, that's the Ferrari. We're, we're gunning for the Ferrari. Uh, and on the other side, uh, we've got slothful, which is uh, the, t- the, the stereotypical leaning on the shovel, having a chat. Incidentally, isn't that what we think everyone's been doing outside of um, uh, the Catholic school up there? There's a lot of leaning on shovels there. I would like some people to stop leaning on shovels and start finishing the road. Do I have an amen? Thank you. Very good. All right. So we don't want any of this slothful stuff. But here's the amazing thing. Chasing after success by gathering stuff is never satisfying. I had an amazing conversation with Ian about Ferraris. Ian, Ian details cars, right? He doesn't have a Ferrari. He details Ferraris, which is wonderful, right? So he's down at a Ferrari convention. This is an extraordinary thing, right? And as he's sitting there chatting with them, he said, most of the guys there have more than one. And I have the amazing realisation that there would be guys sitting at the table there as they're having their drinks at the Ferrari club thinking, I'm a poor guy at this meeting. Are you with me? Do you get the logic of this? I don't have next year's model on order. Woe is me. I've only got one Ferrari. What, what I want to show you guys is as, as, if you pursue that, it will always, always have a higher ceiling than when you are. It'll never satisfy. Here's what God says to us. Do work that is honourable and work hard. Colossians chapter 4 tells us to work as if working for the Lord. That can be the most menial job in the world or it can be the most technologically advanced job in the world. What should you do? Work work at it as if working for the Lord. If you do that, you will have fulfilling work because your boss is the Lord. 
interestingly enough, even if you're unemployed, you can still find a way to contribute for the Lord. Find a way to do stuff that will bring honor to God in your life with your productivity. And then thirdly, uh, sorry, fourthly, the relationship with the world around us. Uh, I think we've turned creation into a supermarket. Uh, If you ask the kids, what tree do frozen dinners come on? No, you get the point, right? So, so here's the thing. We have all sorts of food that we eat that is absolutely divorced from where it came from. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know how it's produced. We never see it made. It doesn't grow anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter. We don't have seasons anymore because we import it from overseas, yeah? It's never not orange season, is it? Even if they come from California. So, so we, we've decided that we will either plunder or we will perish. And and let me explain these two. The plunder one is obvious. Here's our big um, uh, factory ship sucking all the fish out of the sea. This stuff kills me, incidentally. I just hate it. Uh, This unsustainable uh, approach to the world around us. Plunder it. Or the other side is the the really nutty uh, variety of environmentalists who say, we're the virus on the earth, right? Get rid of the humans and the earth will be happy again, right? The Bible doesn't tell us that. It does not tell us to plunder the earth and it does not tell us to perish from the earth. It tells us something far harder to do. We're to live in harmony with the earth and harvest it. Live in harmony with the earth and harvest it. And you think, well, how do I get my, my, uh, my oranges all year round? Do you know what? It would be okay if we didn't. We wouldn't die. We actually need to re- rediscover a connection with the world around us. And so I think we need to make sustainable choices in what we buy and what we use. That challenge then puts us with this point. Outside of God's plan, there is no flourishing. If you pursue life, remember that little tag we started with? If you pursue life outside of the manufacturer's instructions, i.e. God, here's the thing, that the, the stone said it, I can't get no satisfaction. You will not be satisfied in life if you pursue it outside of God's plan for human flourishing. Revelation, the end of the Bible, points us to an even better future for us. Did everyone see that? Anyone getting this picture up here? Some nodding heads. Yes. What does it go up to? It goes up to 11. It's going to be awesome. Uh, here's the picture of, uh, of Revelation. And the picture of Revelation is absolutely incredible. I It's another sermon. We won't do that. Uh, Here's here's very briefly. What Revelation tells us is we will see God face to face and it will be awesome. We will be his people and he will be our God. There'll be no more death or sorrow or sickness or sadness because we will know God face to face. How brilliant will that be? Then it talks about people. In relationships, it says there'll be no more sin. All the evildoers will be shut out, but God's people will dwell without sin in his presence. What an awesome community that will be. We'll have work to do. It actually says in that river flowing from the throne of God, there are trees whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And it says it bears the harvest 12 times a year. And I I was telling the people this morning, I only realized this for the first time today. If it bears fruit for harvest, guess what that means for us? We will need to do the, the harvesting. Here's work in heaven. We'll be harvesting from the tree of life food that will be for the healing of the nations. What a beautiful job that will be. So there'll be, there'll be fulfilling work in heaven and there'll be a fruitful relationship with creation because it'll be remade. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It will be a place of beauty and joy and harmony. So are you hungry for that? 
Are you looking forward to that day? Let, let me show you. You can move from this taking approach that our world tells us and have a look at God's way. So when it comes to, to God, he can be known and he can know you. If you pursue that, what's on offer is something you can't buy anywhere. It is peace. If you turn from a taking view of relationships and you get towards God's plan of trust and treasuring, you'll find something you can't buy anywhere. You'll find love. If you go from this obsession with success and you go for honour and hard work, you can actually sleep at night with satisfaction. That's the, that, is, that is the thing the world cannot offer you aside from God's plan for you. And what about with the created order? If we go for this harmony and harvest, we can rediscover a connection with the world around us. And some of us love bushwalking. Yeah? Some of us love having a little garden patch in the backyard. Do you know why? Because we were made to engage with this beautiful world around us. And I think bound up in our humanity is a connection with that created order. Well, that's a new life. That's what God wants for us, something new, something different to what the world is offering us. And that is human flourishing. That's human flourishing. So at church here, we talk about being a church that longs to see new life in every home for their salvation, for the good of the community and the glory of God. What's that new life look like? It's shaped like this. It's remade in the image that God had for us before the fall. It's shaped by our desire for the destination where we're trying to get to in glory with God. So I want to finish with this. If that's where we're going, and most of you will have started that journey with God. If you haven't tonight, get started. Let's talk about that. But tonight I want to ask those of you who've started that journey, how are you going? Let's stick a little probe in your heart. Think about peace with God. Do you know peace with God personally? Do you know loving relationships where you're trusting and treasuring? Do you know satisfaction in your work? Real satisfaction. Because the one you're working for is the Lord. Do you know this connection? A living connection with the world around us that God has made. I want to encourage you tonight to think about that. To think, am I living the new life that God has for me? Because I want you to be an ambassador on God's mission. And if you don't know the destination, if you're not living the difference now, what sort of ambassador can we be? How about I pray for us? Uh, read this little bit from uh, C.S. Lewis before we finish, which tells us of what we've tried to do tonight. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant, ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Tonight I want to challenge you to not be pleased with what the world has to offer, to be hungry for what God offers, and to walk that walk with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, and we thank you for this vision, the vision of the way you started the world, a vision of how you'll finish the world, Father, give us a holy hunger for that. Father, we would pray that we would be able to join you on mission because we know where you're taking this world and where it's come from. 
Father, open our eyes, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Hey, one of the things that we're going to do uh, in the evening at uh, New Life at Night is actually have a Q&A. It's an opportunity to ask questions after the service, uh, after the sermon. And I thought about it, and I thought I really intended to tell you that before we started so you could write your questions down, but I forgot. So here we are. So your question might be, you might raise your hand and say, why didn't you tell us at the start? That would be a perfectly reasonable question. Uh, But has anyone got any questions, uh, things that they were thinking on the way through, things that I might not have been clear on uh, that you might like to ask me about? Has anyone got a question? I'm happy to be ambushed on pretty much any topic in this, uh, in this space. So, yes, go, Nicole. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I, I had a little bit of a think about this. Uh, it, it is saying that uh, there is a place. I think it's trying to tell us that there's a place where the garden was and it wasn't uh, a make-believe place, so there were real rivers that came from it. The interesting thing for me I saw here is um, to do with watering the garden. And uh, interestingly, in Revelation, uh, it has the throne as the source of the river that will water the garden forever. Really interesting. Um, What's the point of the rivers here? I think my honest answer would be I don't know, other than I think it's trying to point us to the fact that this happened in a real place, not a make-believe place. Is that okay? It's good. Someone else? Go on, you know you want to ask. Or did you already write it on your Caring Connect card and now you don't want to ask? I, no, you're right. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm going to call it a stop there. Um, can I encourage you? We're going to do that every, every week. Uh, if you want to have a carryover question, i.e. you spend some time thinking about that this week and you think, I didn't ask that last week, you can ask last week's question next week. Is that all right? That'd be great. I'm going to hand back to Michael, who's going to uh, lead us in. What's next? Thanks, mate.